0: Forward, and we will uh, give our offering or a tithe, or if you're still contributing for the Faithful Presence campaign, which May sixth they will start ripping off our roof. So that's exciting. So um, let me praise the Lord. uh, We we trust you with the finances that you have entrusted to us, and. uh, Help us to be cheerful givers. And may your kingdom come to this city and uh, in our families. Amen. We're going to sing the doxology together, and the words will be on the screen behind me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well done. You guys should come back next week and sing as well. You should be rewarded in some way for having made it out today, so um, I applaud you. So somebody asked me, why don't we ever cancel our services? And I said, I figured if I can get there, anyone else that gets there is going to get there with a good attitude, right? Because you chose to be here, you fought to be here, and that we're going to have fun together. So that's, that's kind of, anyway. word. <laughs> that was incredible. I don't know who did that. So uh, last week we started with a scribe, and so I need a scribe um, to write on the board here. Who's willing to be a scribe to write on the board here? Not all. (laughs) Apparently, those two people aren't here this week. All right, Carly, come on up. And to keep it consistent, we need another scribe that stands on this side and never writes anything the whole time. That was Scott Foster last week, and I was going to specifically invite him to do that, but he's not here. So we're talking about uh, sleepless nights, and the the big idea is this: that God is present in our sleepless nights; that there's good news to proclaim and to demonstrate to one another in our sleepless nights; and that everyone has sleepless nights. And they create opportunities for us to be Jesus to our neighbors. Now, that's the big idea of this whole series. And last week, we spent a little bit of time kind of capturing some of the things that keep us awake at night. And it was a, it was a great list. Um, I think that this week, we, it'll be a little bit more um, difficult to get as extensive of a list because this week... What we're going to talk about is that God is present in our unmet longings. So we're going to get very specific that our unmet longings keep us up at night. Anyone agree? Show of hands, our unmet longings. Okay, so I'm not tricking you. But I'd love to get a list going of some of our unmet longings. Now, you may not want to share your unmet longing. You may feel like that's too vulnerable. That's fine. We're gonna assume anyone who shares an unmet longing is sharing someone else's unmet longing. Somebody that they know. They've heard them talk about it or they just know that it exists. So unmet longings. Let's get some let's get some going here. Maybe uh, by a show of hands and I can be a little more orderly. Mer- Ah, deeper relationships, intimacy, a child, that's gone the wrong way. child that's gone the wrong way. Ooh, good one. Healing of sickness. Do I need two scribes or are you doing good? You're doing good. Over here. What was it? Oh, building a family. Up top. Bills, oh, good one. Not having bills, right, or being able to pay the bills. What else? Unmet longings. My friend's son getting into medical school. Okay. Our desires for our kids and for our friends' kids' future. Okay, what else? Unmet longings. Ooh. Ooh. Making an impact. That's a good one. What else is out there? Broken relationships. relationships. How about uh, burying your child? Nobody plans to do that. What else? Unmet longings. How about being accepted as you are? How about uh, the longing for a spouse? Longing for a, child. longing for a child. That's a good one. Unmet longings. How about contentment? I cheated because I got to work on this like all week, so <laughs> I have like six pages of answers. Any other ones? That we want to throw out here? I know that there's some that aren't being said, that's fine. Oh, justice. That's a good one. Any more? When change is going to be solid. When say it again. Change is scary when change is gonna be solid. Yeah. When will when will change become solid? Stability, sure footedness. Peace on earth, that's a good one. Equality. Equality. This is a heck of a list. I'm starting to sweat. I might have to take my sweatshirt off. All right. Peace on earth. Any more? Oh, over here. Salvation. Salvation. Hmm, good one. Reconciliation. I'm trying to see if there's more hands. Awesome. Well done. Can we we give our scribes a hand? Thank you. Wonderful. Well, that's, that's a big list, and we're just kind of scratching the surface, and we all know that there's a specific name or thing that we did not say, and that there's a level of shame or disconnection or coping that we have been practicing for some amount of time to be able to put the barrier between our mouths and our heart's longing. And this morning... That's really what I want to talk about. We all have longings. Crying out to God to fulfill them or change them or to give us the strength to endure them strengthens our faith. But that's not fun. Denying our longings or faking contentment may keep us from pain, may even make us look more spiritual, might even make us less emotional but it can lead to spiritual deadness. Unmet longings are those dreams that we're too afraid to express, the hopes we don't even pray about anymore. They stir the strongest and most unsolicited emotions in us, and they give us sleepless nights, agreed? We have many different emotional responses to these unmet longings. Anger, sadness, loss of hope, withdrawal, depression, jealousy, resentment, judgment of others. We fall into the sin of comparison. Why did they get the thing that I had wanted? Have you seen their life, God? Or we go to the other side and we start to build our cases before God because clearly God doesn't understand the real situation. My go-to is anger. If you know me, you know that. And here's what I'm learning. Even as I prep this week, it is okay to shake my fist at God. It's okay to shake my fist at God. And that it is actually a form of worship, and it's called lamenting, that shaking our fists at God is actually a high form of worship called lamenting. Letting God into our unmet longings is the opposite of isolating God from our unmet longings. Does that make sense? Shaking our fists at God and letting God into the space, the sacred space of unmet longings, is the opposite of isolating or being alienated from God in that longing. And it's important to note this. You are entitled to your feelings. You're entitled to your feelings. And you're entitled to your response to unmet longings, and you have permission to be honest and to be forthright with God. God can handle your emotions, even if it's anger. In 1984, my life changed because of a movie called The Karate Kid. Anyone else? (laughs) Never looked back. Karate Kid taught me three life-changing phrases. The first one was the phrase, pudgy little bastard. And that was said from the head sensei to Mr. Miyagi. He called him a pudgy little bastard. At the age of seven, I didn't know what that meant, but I know that it warranted a good response. So I kind of filed that phrase away for a good use at a different time, which presented itself at a family game night. <laughs> well, we were, we were playing trouble and my brother did something that bothered me and I said, well, you're a pudgy little bastard, aren't you? <laughs> and I was swiftly disciplined for that. The second phrase is this phrase, that I am a man that will fight for your honor, right? I'm still living that one out. And in that moment, I realized the way that Peter Cetera could connect with my heart. (laughs) And that love affair still goes on. And my dog, Apollo, loves it when I sing along with Peter Cetera, because emotions and just all sorts of things come out of me that usually aren't there. The The third phrase that I learned from Karate Kid was this, PO'd. The phrase P.O.'d. Now, I didn't know that that was a, a contraction for something else, but being PO'd. And so I filed that one away as well. So one night after youth night, my dad was driving a van full of kids from the church home. And uh, my dad was the pastor. And so we would drive and drop all the kids off. And my dad had done something before we left the church That had angered me, and as a seven-year-old, I wanted to be really clear with him about how angry I was, so as we were driving all of the parishioners' kids in the van, I thought that was the good time to pull out that old Karate Kid phrase that I had stored away. So I told my dad I was PO'd, and I remember the look he gave me, I remember the angle of the look he gave me. I remember his response, which was, go to your room immediately when we get home and wait for me. I remember the dread in the waiting. Now, my dad's not a mean person, but he has a very senatorial look about him, if you've seen him before. And he's very intentional about discipline. And he intended to discipline me for my colorful language. But I misunderstood the whole thing. And I received it that my dad was punishing me for expressing my anger at him. Those are two very different things. And I have to be honest that that took me a long time to understand. And I can remember as an adult in a situation where I thought that my dad was going to be my advocate, and he recused himself from an elder board decision. And I can remember in that moment having to wrestle, what do I do with my anger at my dad? Because I'm not allowed to share it. Now we've worked through a lot of that, but I recognize that that misunderstanding caused me years and years of hiding, and of masking my anger, and of not being truthful, We're not having full disclosure with my father. And I think that many of us have done this exact same thing with God. Many of us operate with the same misunderstanding, especially with regret or with regard to unmet longings. We tell ourselves, don't seem mad. You know, God's watching. Or don't seem angry at God. Don't shake your fist at God because What if God punishes us, and now we have punishment on top of this unmet longing? And I'm here today to say that it just simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. Jesus made a very clear invitation to us in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come to him in our weariness and in our burdens. And our unmet longings are burdens that we carry. The thing that's interesting is that the scripture says this all over. From the beginning, God has been able and willing to deal with man's anger. The first narrative we have in scripture, Adam is tasked with naming the animals. It says, in naming the animals, there is not one found suitable for Adam, This is the first narrative in Scripture, and Adam has an unmet longing. So from Adam, God brings forth Eve. Eventually, Adam and Eve make poor decisions and fall out of relationship with God. And once they realize it, what do they do? They hide. They mask Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The woman you put here with me. That's a far cry from, I was naming all of the animals, and there's not one suitable for me. The woman you put here. Remember when you took that rib from me? Yeah, she's the one. She's the one who did this. You know, and God desires to still know them and to be with them. And so the story says that God pursues them in their hiding. And God engages with them in their alienation. But when confronted, Adam shakes his fist at God. This woman you put here made me do it. And the story continues and and God handles Adam's anger and God makes coverings for both of them and we can read about the battle to restore that relationship through the rest of the Bible (laughs) or look at our life, right? But right out of the gate, Adam experienced an unmet longing and then the anger at God and God's response to Adam was to engage him in the anger. Or let's take Job. In the Job narrative, Job loses everything. His unmet longing is the restoration of everything he ever had. His family, his health, all of his possessions, everything. And Job gets angry with God. And God engages with Job for chapters. (laughs) Chapters and chapters. And Job shakes his fist over and over again. Or let's take Jonah. Everyone knows the big fish part of the Jonah story, right? Forget that part for now. Jonah's a part of Israel. And the Assyrian army had tortured, pillaged, and enslaved Jonah's people throughout his whole history. Jonah wanted justice, vengeance, and a reckoning for what they had done to Israel. And what does God do? God invites Jonah to go to the capital city of Assyria, and Jonah decides to go the opposite way. We have the encounter of the big fish and then we have Jonah stepping into what God has asked him to do which is to declare to the people of Nineveh God's judgment and when he does the whole city repents they're putting sackcloth on animals and stuff that type of like extreme repenting and God has mercy Instead of of what Jonah wanted in his longing to see justice, God shows Nineveh mercy, and they repent. And the rest of the story is Jonah is furious with God. Furious. Jonah shakes his fist at God. And in Jonah's anger, God engages with Jonah. Jonah. This is Jonah 4. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. These are the words that we would write worship songs to, right? Lord, you're gracious and compassionate. Lord, you know I think there actually is one that says that. Slow to anger and abounding in love. He's not singing this. He's, this is what he's doing. I knew this. I knew you were slow to anger, compassionate, gracious. Like the, He is shaking his fists at God. Now take away my life. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah, to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. <laughs> Jonah's furious. I'm, I'm going to the hills, right? And he hits the hills and he sits down and he's angry. And then God makes a plant grow. And now he's in the shade and now he's very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt that? I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's the end of the book. <laughs> that's the end of the story. Most of us think what we saw in Veggie Tales was the end of the story. <laughs> it ends with a question from God: Should I not care about all the things I've created? I mean, that's the that's the question, right? I mean, you didn't make the plant grow. Like, should I, should I not care about all those people and all those animals? And there's a there's a list of other stories that I could present. That are, they're about unmet longings. The Bible is about unmet longings. You're not alone. You're not alone in the burdens that you carry. All these stories reflect our unmet longings or like it. And if we learn anything from these stories this morning, it's this. There isn't a formula to get God to act. There isn't a formula to get God to act. But there is one consistent thing in each one of these stories God engages people who are hurting, God engages people who have unmet longings, God engages people who are angry, God engages people who are depressed. God engages those who are overwhelmed with their emotions from their longings. And this is the invitation for us today to lament as a high form of worship. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that you're lamenting as a high form of worship? Because instead of isolating God you're actually engaging God. Instead of alienating yourself from God in your unmet longings, you're actually inviting God's presence into the midst of it. Michael Card, a singer-songwriter, said this, I saw it was beautiful. He said, We were created to live with God in a garden, yet we wake every morning in the desert of a fallen world. You agree? Is that true for you? So lament. Lament and know that it's worship. It's letting God into your ugly. Whenever Tina and I are lamenting to each other, it often has the phrase, okay, so this is going to be ugly. (laughs) Here's here's, Here's the ugly side of me. I'm furious. You know, here's the ugly side of me. I want to discredit this person and I want to shame them in front of everyone so that I can get my way. And it's ugly. It's the things that we don't want people to know that we think or that we feel. Lamenting is actively battling the temptation to hide and to be alienated from your God with your unmet longings. And here's the cool thing. There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. So if you don't know what to say, turn there. Turn there and read it out loud until something's like, oh, yeah, that was a good one. That's me. Or the Psalms. Most of the Psalms are angry, you know, halfway through until the bipolar kicks in, and then it's like, and you're so good, <laughs> and you hate me, but you're just so nice. Nice. Sorry, that was not in my notes. (laughs) But that was fun. Bible stories can encourage us, and the ideas of all this can encourage us, but the the reality is this. Um, We have to take the time to actually identify our pain. We have to slow down, we have to unplug, and we have to ask God to search our hearts. And what is the pain? And to be able to name the pain... To be able to explain why does it strike us as being wrong? Why is this wrong? Why is this unfair? Why is this unjust? And then to call on God to speak into it. This is what it is to lament. And the reality is, we can't hide our deepest thoughts from God. So why not share them? God already knows. Well, we're going to exhale for a second. So Andrew, I'd like to invite you up. You've been inhaling. Your turn. Yes. Come come join me. We've been inhaling, and it's important to exhale and to have a breather. So this morning, before we move forward into our application, Andrew has performed a song for us. And so we're going to... Celebrate and listen with Andrew and then we'll watch the screen um, for our application points
1: Hi guys, my name is Shannon Nadzinski and our family has been attending Genesis since 2004 But I personally have not been in the church building in the last four years due to a chronic illness in 2011 I went from being a healthy, active mom of two to nearly bedridden. After seeing a dozen doctors, I was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease, mycotoxin illness, and a host of other autoimmune diseases. I barely left the house the first two years because of the fatigue and the extreme nerve pain and the chronic migraines. To back up a bit, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 20 and had a close good personal relationship with him he was my friend but soon he would be my lifeline Nate asked me to share some practices today that I've used over the last several years to go from a place of despair to a place of hope and in a minute you'll see on the screen a list of what I do for my morning routine in my journal I adapted it from a TED talk I saw a few years back kind of supercharged it with some Jesus stuff. What attracted me to it is there is scientific proof that if you do this routine every day, it will actually change your brain chemistry to go from depressed to joyful. I'm in. It takes under 10 minutes, and it really makes a difference. The first thing I do is I write down my concerns. What am I shaking my fist at God for? What isn't working out for me? These are my my prayer requests. The next thing that I write down is what I'm thankful for. I try to do five things a day, and I try not to repeat them, the same ones every day. Next is an act of kindness. Often for me, this is just a simple text telling someone that I'm thankful for them or just something encouraging. Finally, I try to meditate on scripture. And the way that I do this is I pick out a Bible verse and I try to find ways to help that Bible verse go from my head to my heart. Here's an example. Uh, Matthew 8, 28 says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So for an example, I would take this verse and somebody taught me to focus on each word and really emphasize it and see what it means. So I emphasize it verbally first. So I would say, come to me all who are weary. And then I'd focus on that word come. What does come mean? It sounds like someone's inviting me to something. And then I'd say, come to. Okay, to. That's a simple one. Someone's inviting me to something. Come to me. Who's me? Me is Jesus. And I do that for the whole verse, hoping that it will stick and it will be meaningful to me. I've really found that inviting God into my day through scripture has made a big difference. And one way that I've done this is through worship. I put worship music on when I'm folding laundry, when I'm doing dishes, um, anything to get that, those scripture words and those truths about God into my head instead of the ruminating thoughts on my fears, and my failures. So these are some practices that I do alone. But I've learned that God doesn't create us to be alone. He wanted me to invite others into this pain. This was hard at first because I didn't want to appear weak. I didn't want others to think I was needy. And I didn't want to be judged. But in the end, it has been so worth it to be vulnerable. When we first came to Genesis about 10 years ago, I knew I wanted to be in a small group because I'd been in one at our old church and it was a great way to meet people. So I saw a number in the bulletin and called that number and asked if I could join a small group. Now, to be honest, it was hit or miss at first. We went to a couple of groups that weren't really for us, but we kept trying until we found one that was a good fit. The group that we've been with for the last three years has become like family. Over time, I've let them into my pain and they've let me into theirs. I was no longer alone in the darkness. They have come aside me beside me in practical ways. They've watched my kids. They've cooked for me. In one year, they even came over to my house and decorated my Christmas tree while I was in the hospital. But I think one thing that's made the most difference to me was their prayers. There was this time that was dark and I was depressed and I was sick of asking God for help. So I emailed them and I asked them to pray for me. These five women showed up at my house a few days later. They held me as I cried. They cried out to God. And they showed me that they weren't going to give up, and I shouldn't either. I didn't get healed that night, but I felt so loved. Okay. These practices have helped me connect with God. But I knew that scripture said that ultimately God didn't want me to be sick. So I'd be remiss if I left you today and just told me how God got me through my pain and not the times that he's delivered me from it. I have so many examples over the last several years how God has moved in miraculous ways, but I'm just going to take a minute to tell you about two of those. Bear with me while I explain a couple technical details of Lyme that will help you understand what a miracle this first one was. So I was likely bit by a tick in my early 20s. Lyme can live in the body but not be active until something else suppresses the immune system. And in my case, it was these mycotoxins that are found in mold. So I I technically had Lyme in my body since my early 20s, but it didn't manifest most of the symptoms until I was in my 30s. The one symptom that started soon after I got bit by the tick was severe insomnia. After not sleeping for several days, I went to a doctor, and they prescribed Ambien. As with several other sleeping pills, Ambien is very addictive. I used Ambien every night for 15 years. I tried to sleep without it, couldn't do it. We prayed, didn't seem to make a difference. So I basically stopped asking. I thought I was going to live with this Ambien the rest of my life. One weekend, there was a conference at Genesis that I went to. I couldn't even sit in the chair. I laid on the floor with a pillow. I was really there to ask for healing for pain. But at one point, the speaker said, if you're struggling with insomnia, come on up for prayer. Wow. Did I want help with insomnia? Was I ready to be, well, was I ready to be disappointed again? I wasn't sure, but I went up front, and the speaker's life prayed for me. That night I decided, I'm going to try not taking an Ambien and see what happens. I had a mustard seed amount of faith. Well, I didn't take the Ambien that night, and I slept. And since then, I've slept, and I've slept, and I've slept, and I've never had to take that little red pill again. I really was free of that dependence on Ambien. In closing, I wanna share one more story of God's healing power. As I said before, one of the bad things about Lyme is that it gives headaches. I was having three to four headaches a week for several years. This to me was probably the hardest part of the illness because I couldn't make plans. I didn't know when I was gonna get a headache. It was so crippling. I would just lay in my room. My son actually told this therapist that sometimes he went in my room and I was sleeping and he thought I was dead. Well, one night last October, I was going to bed with yet another migraine and Jim suggested we pray. I said, no, thanks. I just want to take my migraine pill and lay down. But if you know my husband, Jim, you know, he doesn't really take no for an answer when it comes to prayer. So we prayed. Immediately the migraine went away and it hasn't come back. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've gotten a headache since that October. There's such a delicate balance between living in pain and expecting God to heal. I teeter-totter weekly. There is such a delicate balance between living in pain and expecting God to heal. I teeter-totter Monthly, weekly, sometimes daily, between shaking my fist at God and asking him for healing. If I've learned two things the past six years, it's to invite God into my pain while at the same time holding out hope that he can heal me. There's a verse in the Bible, John 10.10, where Jesus says, I've come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. This is something I continue to hold on to, and I hope that you do too.